0: Cruising it's time for the flyover view. Welcome back to Fly Overview, a member of the Heartland Pod family, a podcast, and a look at Heartland News from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined by my co-host, Sean Diller.
1: Hey, Sean, you ready to start this show? I don't know. Are we ready to replace Justice Breyer with a strong progressive?
0: <laughs> I don't know, Sean. You know, there's an election in three years. We, we might want to give the voters some time to vote on it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right folks let's start the show child tax credit is already missed for six months last year the united states made monthly cash payments to help families cover the costs of raising children unfortunately though the policy known as the expanded child tax credit has already been unwound by a deadlocked congress so what did it accomplish here's what the data tell us the benefit reached more than 61 million children in december of 2021 and in march 2021 As part of the American Rescue Plan, lawmakers made three key changes to the tax code. Congress chose to disperse half of the child tax credit
0: benefit in monthly payments from July to December, instead of forcing families to wait For a lump sum at tax time, lawmakers increased the benefit from $2,000 per child to a maximum of $3,600 per child five or younger and $3,000 for children six to 17. For many families, that meant six monthly payments of $250 or $300 and the rest at tax time. The expansion reached 61.2 million children across more than 36 million households in December. The
1: Tax Policy Center estimates that by the end of tax season, families will have received an average of $4,000. $2,380 from the 2021 Expanded Child Tax Credit compared to $2,300 before.
0: The payments cut monthly child poverty by roughly 30%, says Megan Curran, a policy director at Columbia University Center on Poverty and Social Policy. She says the first payment in July kept 3 million children out of poverty. By December, 3.7 million children were lifted out of poverty. Overall, the monthly child tax credit payments have, in effect, by the end of their six months,
1: reduced child poverty in the U.S. by about 30%. So what did families spend the money on? Basic needs. When families earning less than $35,000 a year suddenly had extra money in their bank accounts, they used it to buy food, clothing, school supplies, pay their utility bills, and cover the rent. That's according to one analysis of U.S. Census Bureau data by the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, which found that 91% of low-income families use their monthly benefit on these basic needs.
0: Less often, families spent the benefit on vehicle payments, child care, or to pay down old debts. There's no evidence that the money drove caregivers to quit working. One common refrain among critics of a monthly child benefit is that putting extra money in the pockets of working parents might compel some to work less or quit altogether. In fact, in interviews, parents and caregivers commonly say this benefit helped cover costs that made working easier by paying for childcare or transportation.
1: $500 a month isn't enough reason to quit looking for a job, says Jess Hudson, a single mother of two in the San Francisco Bay Area. I can't live on that. It was enough to give me childcare help so that I could finish school, so I could get a job, so I can participate in the economy in the ways that I want to. Hudson recently earned her undergraduate degree from San Francisco State University and says the $500 monthly payments she received allowed her to pay for after-school care for her 10-year-old son while she attended a few required evening classes. Hudson says, I don't think I would have been able to graduate without it.
0: Sue bully Schmidt targets more schools. In the last two weeks, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt has sued over 45 school districts in the state of Missouri in an effort to continue his legal push to end mask mandates across the state. On Monday came the announcement that he was suing nine more school districts over their mask mandates, including a school district in St. Louis County that serves students with disabilities, the special school district of St. Louis County, which is the largest district in the state that serves students with special needs.
1: The lawsuits allege that school districts do not have the authority to impose public health orders for their school children. And the state lawmakers did not grant schools the authority to hinge in-person attendance on wearing a mask. But school districts that previously faced cease and desist letters from Schmidt have pointed to a variety of state statutes that do allow school boards to issue regulations and more explicitly give schools the authority to remove students from the classroom who may transmit contagious disease
0: examples like the francis howe school district in st charles county which was sued by schmidt last week issued a statement friday defending its authority to issue mask requirements and arguing locally elected school board members are tasked with making decisions for the district's students not the attorney general the lawsuit filed by schmidt is a waste of taxpayer money on both sides The claims are tenuous at best, and this unnecessary lawsuit represents another attack on public education in Missouri. This latest action by A.G. Schmidt is
1: disheartening, unfounded, and frankly, shameful. Lawsuits previously filed by Schmidt targeting mask mandates have cost local governments hundreds of thousands of dollars, says St. Louis Public Radio. Now, schools in Missouri are facing the issue of how to budget for these unforeseen legal bills stemming from Schmidt's frivolous lawsuits. The Parkway School District states that they have money budgeted each month for attorney fees. There may be an answer to that in the form of a bill if it gains traction. Days after the lawsuits were filed, House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid filed legislation, House Bill 2569, that will help reimburse legal expenses incurred from their ongoing battle.
0: Quaid criticizes the attorney general, saying local public school budgets are already stretched thin because of the pandemic. They shouldn't have to foot the bill for Eric Schmidt's shameful campaign stunts. Schmidt's lawsuits come at a time when over 60 school districts have closed for one or more days this month in an effort to curb COVID-19 cases in the classroom. Districts have also been pressured to drop mitigation measures in order to receive the state treasurer's approval for pending bond deals.
1: Meanwhile, hospitals continue to grapple with record COVID cases. A 40-member unit from the U.S. Navy is heading to North St. Louis County to assist BJC Christian Hospital, and nurses who don't usually care for patients are being required to take on hospital shifts at University of Missouri Healthcare. So this is pretty crazy. The attorney general continues to sue school districts for asking children, and also the mandates affect teachers and adults who work there to uh, wear masks. So he's suing them, and then they have to respond in court. When I thought about writing this story up for the podcast
0: today, like part of me was like, do I really need to talk about Eric Schmidt again? I mean, this is kind of what he wants. He wants a lot of people to talk about him. He wants people to spend a lot of breath discussing his crazy tactics and hoping that he will get some sort of notoriety over it. But I mean, we had to, like, we can't let this be normalized.
1: Right. And what we can't allow to be normalized is politicizing public health at every turn it's schmidt who is politicizing the issue by suing schools the schools are just trying to be cautious because we know that people are getting sick and dying and we also know that in a lot of these places people aren't vaccinated so the schools are trying to keep people safe and attorney general schmidt is politicizing public health in colorado american rescue plan funds go to housing Between the state and private prisons, the sheriff's office, schools, and a growing cannabis industry, there are plenty of workers who could make Crowley County their home, except there aren't enough places for them to live. And as the supply of houses and apartments has declined in the rural county east of Pueblo, Few developers are interested in building. Investors and contractors aren't willing to take a chance to put housing up, states Crowley County Commissioner Blaine Arbuthnot. Now Crowley and five other rural s-
0: southeastern counties that have struggled to keep residents and workers have plans to use money from the American Rescue Plan Act to help build 127 new homes. State lawmakers have nearly $2.6 billion in ARPA dollars left to spend statewide on issues like economic recovery, affordable housing, and behavioral health. State agencies are also expected to receive billions from the bipartisan infrastructure package.
1: Crowley County, along with Baca, Bent, Kiowa, Prowers, and Otero counties, are putting a total of $650,000 in federal stimulus money toward initial development costs, such as land surveys and building permits. By helping bring down costs, they hope to entice a private developer to build workforce housing across southeastern Colorado.
0: Crowley County will also use some of its 1.2 million stimulus funds to finish a water project that would better deliver water to northern and eastern parts of the county. The project has been planned for two decades, Arbuthnot says, but the county never had the funds to build it. This gives us an opportunity to do something that's been needed for some time, which can be said about almost everything coming from ARPA and the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Things that have needed attention for sometimes decades. And now they're getting it.
1: Right Ever since the last recession, states have been running off a shoestring budget and that's never been replenished. so there have been there's a huge backlog of projects, especially in these smaller towns. Hopefully this money continues to make a difference on the ground.
0: Healthcare and marijuana are in the budget in Minnesota. Governor Tim Waltz and Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan unveiled a sweeping package of health and public safety proposals Wednesday that would cost nearly $2.3 billion over three years. Waltz and Flanagan's supplemental budget recommendations include a slew of policies that the governor says will lower crime rates and improve health care outcomes. They include creating grants for preventative policing legalizing marijuana for adults and establishing a public health insurance option. Waltz says this is a comprehensive, modern approach to public safety that was built with every neighborhood in mind.
1: The budget recommendations mark the first time Governor Waltz has publicly proposed legalizing recreational marijuana for adults. Previously, he had said he would sign a bill to do so. The Minnesota House passed a bill to legalize marijuana last session, but it didn't advance in the GOP-controlled Senate. The governor's cannabis proposal includes attacks on marijuana, a measure to expunge nonviolent marijuana-related convictions, the creation of a cannabis management office, and resources for substance abuse prevention and treatment. To improve health care access, Waltz
0: and Flanagan's proposed creating a buy-in option for Minnesota Care, the state's subsidized insurance program for low-income people. That would allow some people who don't currently qualify to opt into Minnesota Care. They also recommend increasing funding for the state's programs to maintain affordable housing and prevent homelessness.
1: That's cool seeing Democrats take action on a bunch of widely popular issues that will make a real difference in people's lives. I think it's great.
0: Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for a talking politics session on the week that was and diving into elections, legislation, and public policy. You can also join Adam on most Tuesdays and Thursdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On any given week, he could be chatting up a politician, a farmer, a scientist you name it. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports with The Delta from science teacher and author Nicholas Linke and High Country, Sean Diller's Western political updates. Learn more at heartlandpod.com and don't forget for full access to the Last Call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. It's just plain unconstitutional. Assembly leaders in Wisconsin for the second time have rejected a proposal from Republican lawmakers to pull back Wisconsin's electoral votes cast in the 2020 election, which is illegal. Representative Timothy Ramthun, a Republican from Campbell Sport, introduced a resolution during a floor session on Tuesday that would take the impossible step of retracting the
1: state's 10 electoral votes cast for President Joe Biden in 2020. Assembly Majority Leader and Republican Jim Steineke, who leads the committee, said in a tweet, not only is it illegal, it's just plain unconstitutional. As chair of the Rules Committee, there is zero chance I will advance this illegal resolution.
0: Popular conservative website Gateway Pundit falsely reported that the move had been successful. Carrie Lake, a Republican candidate for governor in Arizona, then tweeted to her over 100,000 followers, huge breaking news, Wisconsin Assembly votes to withdraw its 10 electors for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. As of Tuesday morning, the tweet reporting inaccurate information was still up, despite Gateway Pundit recasting the story.
1: Illinois Governor Pritzker vetoes COVID-19 sick leave for school workers, saying only the vaccinated deserve it. Unvaccinated teachers and school employees don't deserve COVID-19 sick leave, so no educators will get it until a bill excludes the unvaccinated, said Governor J.B. Pritzker. He vetoed the bill January 24th after allowing it to sit on his desk for months. The bill passed with bipartisan
0: support in October of 2021 and would have given paid administrative leave to schools, college, and university employees for absences related to COVID-19 rather than making them take sick leave. Pritzker, however, said it should only apply to those who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The governor's office simultaneously announced efforts with two of Illinois' teacher unions to provide paid leave for every public school and higher education employee who is fully vaccinated or has received the required doses to become fully vaccinated
1: within five weeks of the law passing. The replacement bill hasn't been filed yet, but would be identical to the original, except for discriminating against unvaccinated employees. So this is a Democrat that does to be politicizing COVID.
0: yeah also it just seems a little bit at his wits end which i can understand but yeah free press advocates call on senate gop to restore media access Free press advocates called Wednesday for Iowa Senate Republicans to reverse their decision to bar journalists from the floor of the chamber. Therese Grant, president of the League of Women Voters of Iowa, said Wednesday during a statehouse news conference, when news of these restrictions became known, it was an immediate red flag, a threat to the freedom of the press and thus a threat to our democracy.
1: The League of Women Voters of Iowa and the Interfaith Alliance of Iowa held the event to protest the decision by Senate Republican leaders to move media from their traditional seats on the chamber floor up to a third-floor gallery. Grant goes on to say, The League of Women Voters wants the press to be able to have direct access to legislators so that all Iowans have the most accurate information about the actions and decisions that are made on a daily basis. Connie Ryan, the executive director of the Interfaith Alliance of Iowa,
0: said politicians name-calling, belittling, and harassing, demonizing, and dismissing the free press to further their own agenda ensures the public cannot be fully informed of our government's work and actions and places our democracy in danger. Iowa Capital Press Association President Aaron Murphy of the Cedar Rapids Gazette emphasized that journalists are not courting conflict with lawmakers, but merely trying to restore access necessary to do their jobs.
1: If folks haven't been in a state capital setting, like on the floor of the legislative chamber, it really does make a difference if you're a journalist reporting on behalf of the people and holding politicians accountable while they're there on the taxpayer's dime and representing our interests. When a reporter's on the floor... It doesn't mean they can wander around and do exactly whatever they want, disrupt the proceedings or anything like that. But they're there to hear what they're talking about and ask them questions as they walk out the door. If they're up on the third floor gallery, there's literally no chance for them to watch the proceedings, see something fishy and get down to the legislators before they run away like little weasels.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just like they said, it makes it hard for them to do their jobs.
1: These things just happen, guys. In Kansas, State Representative Steve Hubert, during a four-hour House debate on Tuesday defended an obvious attempt by Republicans to gain an upper hand in congressional races through redistricting as simply a political process. The Republican from Valley Center was responding to complaints by Democrats about a rushed process that ignored the voices of residents who wanted to keep the Kansas City metro together in a single district, setting the legislature up for an inevitable court battle over diluting the voting power of Black and Latino voters
0: gerrymandering, partisan politics, all those things that are being discussed and talked about right now are just things that happen, said Hubert. They always have and they always will. The GOP-dominated House advanced legislation along party lines that would install a GOP-drawn map that removes a majority-minority population in Wyandotte County from the 3rd District.
1: There are not enough vomit emojis in the world for... (laughs) to describe how I felt... (laughs) You're in that shed. Has this guy ever heard of to the make civil it rights? i as
0: as possible.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. The 13th, 14th, 15th amendments. Representative Tom Burroughs, Democrat of Kansas City, said the attempt to water down the voting power of an ethnic community as diverse as Wyandotte County is shameful. People of color deserve to have a voice, whether you like it or don't.
0: Indiana rep says give me ivermectin proposed legislation by two Republican members of the Indiana House of Representatives seeks to remove the bureaucratic red tape that limits doctors and pharmacists from dispensing ivermectin, a drug not approved for the treatment or prevention of COVID-19 by the Food and Drug
1: Administration. Representative John Jacob is a disciple of freedom and believes personal choice should extend into the doctor's office and pharmacy. He told WISH Team 8 that he took ivermectin when he was diagnosed with COVID-19 last summer. According to Jacob.
0: I think it's very clear that there's a certain slant on information flow. In other words, the medical community, the government, has been censoring and having only certain information come out as being a viable treatment. You mean like
1: peer-reviewed?
0: Certain information? (laughs) Gosh. Just to clear things up, Jacob says he has not talked to any doctors about the legislation. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. I want to thank you for joining us. If you have a story you feel we should look into, tweet us at
1: The Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from NPR, The Missouri Independent, KMOV St. Louis, The Colorado Sun, IllinoisPolicy.org, The Minnesota Reformer, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Iowa Capital Dispatch, Kansas Reflector, WISH Indianapolis, and The Kansas City Star.
0: The flyover Review is a production of MidMap Media LLC learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See y'all
1: next week.